Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me. Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Erica Feldman, who is an author as well as the founder and head witch in charge at House Witch in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, which you may know as a little bit of a witch aficionado destination. Today, we talk about the destigmatization of witches and witchcraft in our modern society. We talk about the growing trend of spirituality. And we talk about how she navigates the world as a shop owner who is staunchly anti capitalist. All today on Hijinx. So, hunker down. Buckle up and sink your chompers into a brand new episode of Hi Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by author and founder and head witch in charge at House Witch. Um, they're also a former colleague of one Miss Bendela Cram. It's Erica Feldman. Hi, Erica. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you doing today? I am fabulous. I am so excited to be here. I'm so honored. Thank you for having me. Um, am I correct? You're in Salem, Massachusetts right now? You are correct. <laughs> which and city that, usa we're here i know and that in itself of itself could <laughs> take up the whole podcast Probably. but um <laughs> let's talk first um i like to say give us your elevator pitch of what house witch is how it came to be um for all my listeners who have not made the pilgrimage to salem yet <laughs> Sure. I mean, I am not very good at elevator pitches because I am a Gemini with a Mercury and Gemini, but I will. And House Witch, you know, for better or worse, sort of defies explanation, I would say. But um, we are a 
radical intersectional feminist queer anti-capitalist witch store um, in the heart <laughs> of Salem, Massachusetts. And um, you know, we focus a lot on witchcraft uh related specifically to sort of personal empowerment, um, hexing the patriarchy, mm-hmm. uh, toppling capitalism, but also making your home feel really cozy. So that's <laughs> what I always say. It's like not the best for elevator pitches because, um, no, that we bridge, I, uh, we bridge a few worlds at House Witch. A cozy home that's also defying and dismantling the patriarchy. I mean, that's everything I've strived for in my house. I <laughs> I appreciate that. And that's why, you know, you you are definitely part of our target market, you know. But um, people that understand the link between those things, it's amazing. But I would love to, and I'm sure this is a nuanced conversation and a fun place to start, but let's talk about, uh, you're saying you have an anti-capitalist shop, which sounds like an oxymoron, but I'd love to hear how, how you navigate that. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on the commodification of spirituality and witchcraft. So let's start with how do you manage to run an anti-capitalist shop? And you have a big smirk on your face, so I'm really excited to hear this. Well, I hope I can do a good job with this answer because you're right. I mean, there is a lot of nuance to everything that... There, I hope you know there's zero... uh, I have no perception of... I'm. I. I just want to hear where you get off. No. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> Who do I think I am? <laughs> think, no, Point that's... one. Okay. Um. Yeah. So you know, I mean, the easy, the the simplest answer is just that there is a big difference between just sort of like mercantile capitalism, like mm-hmm. going way back to I have six seashells and I would like a chicken kind of like Mm -hmm. exchange of goods and services um, to what we have now, which is sort of like late stage hyper Godzilla capitalism, um, which is really based in things that are not just like the exchange of goods and services. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, the biggest way that I would say I'm an anti-capitalist is that number one, like profit margin is really only important to me because it allows me to put more money back into my Mm -hmm. business, which means I can pay my staff a living wage and I can offer Mm -hmm. health insurance. And Um, you know, maybe every once in a while we have pool parties and maybe every once in a while we do other like fun things because I reinvest the profit that the business makes instead of like taking it for myself. Mm -hmm. Like I don't look at my staff as like laborers that contribute to like my personal wealth and I don't run the business like that. Um, And so that's sort of like the big one where like capitalism is largely about making a profit for making as much money as possible for as little cost and screwing anyone and benefiting your way. (laughs) Right. And that benefits like the least amount of people, like the people all the way at the top. Um, So I would say, you know, that's sort of the biggest way that 
you know, and also like, I don't really buy a lot of stuff from like corporate vendors. Like a lot of our Mm -hmm. vendors are sort of like, you know, either like our friends or like other intentionally marginalized folks, queer folks, people of color, people who, you know, we just really want to support with our dollars and, and people Mm -hmm. that we want to give exposure to through, you know, our social media platforms and, you know, just the places that we're visible, kind of sharing that visibility with people um, that we really want to lift up instead of just sort of like either going with like a low hanging fruit being here in Salem. I mean, Mm -hmm. our tourist traffic alone, if like, I really wanted to be lazy, like, could we could probably just like run a business with like, you know, um, keychains and whatever (laughs) and like be fine, but that's not really interesting to me, you know? So Mm -hmm. we like to collaborate a lot so that there's a lot of stuff at house, Witch that you can't get anywhere else that, you know, like I said, just supports a different kind of person than is like normally supported, especially in a system like capitalism. Um, if that makes sense. As I hear you describe it, of like it makes perfect sense. It's like, oh, that is the difference between, and I don't think, I don't think it, um, I don't think that uh, being someone who buys something or being someone who sells something makes you inherently, you know, part. I, no. I've been working, I, I've been working a lot with this in my own work, kind of like as I'm talking about what's going on in the planet, and then also trying to find that balance of being really frank with my audience, but also making sure that I'm that they know I'm not blaming them for the problem. I think so much lately has been passed on to the people who are more affected by the problem than actually have anything to be able to do about it. You know, it's funny that the people at the top who are the cause of (laughs) so many issues we're facing or standing in the way of any of these issues being dealt with but then pass down the guilt and the responsibility <laughs> onto the people that are actually affected the most. And it's like, I, I boil it down to, you got to give up plastic straws, but they're still flying in private jets, you know? <laughs> I have to tell you, you know, as a lipstick wearer, the plastic uh-huh. straws of it all, the like not being able to use straws when like Exxon is just like leaking oil into the ocean, (laughs) like 24 seven is like really, you know, that is where I drew the line because those paper straws are a mess. You know what I mean? So I, have you um, tried the pasta straws? I can stand behind the the compostable. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The ones made out of like corn and stuff are good. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I kind of think of it as like, I'm mad at billionaires. Like I'm mad at billionaires and just like kind of no one else. I mean, anybody that's (laughs) close to a billionaire, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like though, if, if just those people were like a little bit empathetic and generous, like we would be in a completely different world situation. You know I mean? They like you and I are are on the same plane. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, you know? And so it's like, yeah, I am not mad at anybody who I'm not even mad at anybody who like has a small business, but like, isn't anti-capitalist. I mean, I think you should Mm -hmm. be, I think it's like very liberating and better for everyone involved, but it's really billionaires that I'm mad at. Um, and obviously, like, I mean, conservative Christians and Republicans and all of them. But but in terms of the capitalism thing, it's really just like 
Yeah. I mean, it's the billionaire's fault. Yeah. Eat the rich. Yeah. Eat the rich. Um, someone yelled that at me in a show recently. <laughs> Eat the I said, rich. So what, I, I, which, of course, I've heard since I was, you know, a queer punk teenager. But um, sure. here I am in front of an audience in, in Edinburgh, Scotland. And I say, wait, I said, what do we do about this problem? And someone screamed, eat the rich. And I said, you know, maybe about two months ago, I would have agreed with you on that. But let's, let's, no, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> hardly a billionaire by any means. But I did see sure, a meme sure. that really, really made me chuckle that said something like, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, if you just ate one billionaire, <laughs> you would do more to save the environment than what you could do in your whole lifetime by cutting back on. And so I'm I'm having this frustration of like wanting to lead this charge of like, we all have to do anything we can. And then at the same time, the efforts that we, the normal people <laughs> living our lives in this world, being affected the most by, by the issues that plague us. Uh, you know, us spending oh, yeah. a lifetime of trying to help would do a fraction of what could be done well, at a billionaire's level. <laughs> I think what I am really interested in is sort of like where stuff like that intersects. I mean, it is shame, right? I mean, we already mm -hmm. feel shame, right? If we're not mm -hmm. like recycling the whatevers and we're using plastic straws and, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Is we're all taking on this personal responsibility and shame. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, again, like, I mean, the billionaires have no qualms about their private jets and about all their other <laughs> things. And so for me, especially as the owner of a witch store, where a lot of times what people are kind of looking for help with is shame and guilt mm -hmm. and mm. despair, honestly, about the state of the world, right? And mm -hmm. so that's why I think it's so important to preach an anti-capitalist message because I see, and especially people sort of like us in terms of um, just being queer or um, being witches, being sensitives, like I have a Pisces moon, I'm very sensitive. So that guilt and shame is really disempowering for someone like yeah. me. You know, it's really shuts you down. It disconnects you from, I think, seeing possibilities for actual like solutions and ways that you can. I think the biggest thing is that there are ways that we can help that are actually like more useful maybe than mm -hmm. um, obsessing over like recycling when like a lot of stuff doesn't actually get recycled yada, yeah. yada, yada. I think we're expending a lot of energy on that. And I think we're expending a lot of energy, like dealing with the coping with the despair and the guilt and the shame. And I just think about what if that energy was flipped mm -hmm. into being something that felt good and productive yeah. and liberating. And that gave people the power to say like, I'm going to look into doing a beach cleanup because I can actually like tangibly see how that will like physically help the earth or, yeah. you know, I'm going to look, I'm going to go to a city council meeting when they're discussing, you know, uh, what the recycling or the compost in my town, what the policy, you know, stuff like that, which is like, can actually make a difference and can, it, it feels so much better 
to be in that place, even though sometimes it feels really crappy to go to city council meetings. Yeah. Um, they're very boring and a lot of times <laughs> depressingly bureaucratic. Um, yeah. But honestly, like I sleep at night because I can engage with that stuff a little bit. And you know what I can glean just kind of from social media and obviously I do think I'm in a little bit of an echo chamber, but mm-hmm. I just feel like a lot of us are feeling very down. I mean, is like yeah. a, the understatement of the universe, but, and just exhausted and just sad and just worn out. And so for me, in terms of what I saw in the store and in terms of how we talk to our customers and in terms of how the content that we create, it really is about the antidote to Mm -hmm. our modern condition, which is hugely shaped by capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy. And, um, that's a mess. Yeah. I, I have so many things I want to talk to you about in this episode. Um, so I'm going to try to get to everything, but I want to take a moment to talk about shame because, Mm. um, what I'm seeing is I, we know that religion and wealth and power used to be intrinsically, you know, like religion, wealth, power, the trifecta of the the white men in charge, you know. And oh, as what a, dri- when what a trifecta it is. <laughs> and we know that religion has historically been used to keep that power um, that power, uh, gap there, you know, to keep poor people feeling okay with being poor. And shame is a big tool used in that. Like use the shame of just even being a person to make this person feel like they have something to atone for, and then tell them that they're going to have an easier time atoning for it if they're poor, and that we, the rich, actually have a much harder time atoning for it. So you're actually in a better place by being poor. That's been a tactic for centuries. And now as we drift away from religion, hearing what you were just saying, I'm like, oh, and now it's just shifted onto what are other things we can make taxpayers feel guilty about so that they are. So, and, you know, I, now I'm kind of thinking, I bet there's a part of like, the 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 hatred of the billionaires is actually kind of working in their favor, you know, <laughs> like in the same Ooh, way where it's more. like, yeah, well, it's kind of like in the same way of like, you know, don't, don't envy the rich because we have so much more to atone for. I don't know. Mm. Maybe there's something about like, it's bad PR, but then it's like, there's some pride in being poor. I don't know. It's all, it's, it, it's such a, like a back and forth dance of, well, of I manipulation. That, oh, a hundred percent. And I think that the, you know, the thing now, I think that affects Um, I I come from a working class background, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I've sort of been, well, uh, somebody told me once that I was a bridge person and I relate to Mm -hmm. that deeply because oftentimes in my life, I've sort of been in the middle of um, two worlds, um, which is why my company, which is also a Gemini, is kind of lives in (laughs) two worlds. But I think that the thing that is most people feel a lot of shame around, especially if they are poor, you know, or have a a lower socioeconomic existence is 
the myth of the meritocracy and that mm-hmm. really, if you are poor, it's your own fault and that you're mm-hmm. just not good enough of a person. You just didn't get the right, you know, you didn't get the right degree. You didn't work hard enough, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think I know I experienced this, this shame around sort of like, I haven't been able to save any money or I, you know, when it's like, well, if you don't have any extra money, you can't save any money and mm-hmm. no amount of giving up avocado toast and like frappuccinos <laughs> is going to make a huge significant difference in your life. And again, those are also messages coming from people who have probably never actually experienced like that level of scarcity. Um mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people feel bad about that. And when you can kind of say like, the system is rigged and not only is it rigged, but I mean, it's like fucked up. I mean, just like Mm -hmm. top to bottom because like super wealthy people don't seem very like happy or well-adjusted to me at all either. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know if you watch Succession, but I think that that's a really good like depiction of like these people have so much money and they are like just insane and unhappy and manipulative and horrible to each other. So obviously I don't know. I don't watch Succession, but I do watch The Righteous Gemstones, which is also about insanely rich people having extremely fucked up lives. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I have been in my adult life kind of realizing that a lot of my adulthood has been about uh, finding my own truths to things that I've been told my entire life and finding out that a lot of what I've been told my entire life has been conditioned and built and introduced to me in the way that it was so that I would think and feel a certain way. And then when you kind of become in charge of your own education, you realize that, oh, everything's way more complicated than I was taught in public school. Everything's way more nuanced. And I'd like to take it back to witchcraft um, because this has been a big thing in my life as like a practicing witch in my adulthood, but then also just like, you know, ever, ever leaning more towards feminism and social radical movements and um, spending my whole life working for queer rights. I, I realized that the perception of the witch and the perception of witchcraft has been stigmatized with a purpose as long as it's existed, you know, if we go back to like, you know, turning people away from paganism and towards uh, Christianity, you know, demonizing paganism and then the 
the the stigma and the demonization of the archetype of the witch being another capitalist you know i could go on and on but like midwives were ousted by by doctors men became doctors didn't want women encroaching on their territory so labeled midwives as witches and that put an end to midwifery um, I, I give with, that example often so thank you yeah for, yeah mm-hmm. and then also um we know that um uh as brewing companies began they wanted to get rid of the independent yeah. brewers and there were a lot of female ale brewers who wore pointed hats so you could see them in crowded markets. And um, so a a way to get rid of the competition was to label female brewers as witches and even put the idea in your head of the pointed hat being a sign of someone evil and untrustworthy. And so our, our pop culture depiction of witches has been pretty much always through a patriarchal lens and to demonize witches uh, dating back to these roots of just capitalism and suppressing feminine (laughs) entrepreneurs. Yeah, basically, you summed it up. I mean, that would have taken me hours and hours to... Through. So well, you did a great I, job with that. I, I boiled it down, but I always like to, I, I love bringing this up to people because especially lots of people have heard the midwife example, but yes. I only learned the brewing, the brewing example recently. And that was like endlessly fascinating to me, especially about the pointed hats. It was yeah. just what they wore so they could be seen in the market <laughs> and then it got used against them. And So I think, yeah, I think one of the legacies too, just to like build on that for a second is really that, especially during the witch hunts in Europe and, and sort of the witch hunt here in Salem, which is a little bit of an outlier, but it has to do with this uh, point too. I think one of the real legacies, one of the most unfortunate legacies of like the witch hunts and the witch trials is that, um, basically women communing with each other became Mm -hmm. criminal, you know, became Mm -hmm. something that was enough to convict someone of witchcraft. Um, Something similar to this happened. My wife and I did sort of a witch pilgrimage in England a few years ago, and um, their sort of Salem um, is called Pendle. It was the Pendle witches in Lancaster, England, I believe. Um, I believe sort of contemporary with the Salem witch trials right around the same time. And a big part of it, like sort of a hunt was already going. And then these women convened around a certain point in the middle of their town or their village um, and were kind of gossiping and the rest of them all went. Now, historians, if you're listening, all the historians listening, I'm sure I got some details of that story wrong, but (laughs) <laughs> the point is that overall women having community with each other became women communing with the devil in the woods because they were witches. And so for centuries and centuries, then the idea, like I said, of like women or feminine people, even, you know, collaborating and, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, being together in ways that you know, I can tell you we have events, we have community events at our store and they're very powerful, you know? Uh Um, And so I can see why the powers that be who were trying to definitely like take all 
power and bodily autonomy away from women would be like, these bitches cannot keep getting together and talking shit about all of us <laughs> and plotting and scheming and like figuring out how they're going to make their witch cakes or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think that is really a legacy that has continued up to the present day. And I think women still feel really competitive yeah. with each other and really like weary of being in community with each other. Um, and I think that that is one of the biggest legacies that we can still kind of feel and track back from, um, those days, which again, you know, it's like even being accused of being a witch was really, you know, a multitude of different things over the like yeah. literal hundreds of years. Cause we know about Salem, but in Europe it was hundreds of years and it was thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. And, you know, again, it was like people that weren't useful to reproduction, people that were, um, you know, considered wise people and wise and cunning folk in their village. And, but then it was and also challenged the, the, the norm established men right? in power. Yeah. Sure. And so we learned from The Crucible, which is one of my favorite plays. And Arthur Miller um is one of uh, is one of the only playwrights like consistently. I can read his work or I can see his work, and I'm always crying by the end. Totally. Um, the, <laughs> the Crucible, which was written as a parallel and uh um a satirical look at the MacArthur. Um, uh, communist witch hunts that happened in America. Um, it, it exemplifies how a lot of it started out as a crusade to weed out the wicked, and it became a grasp for power. And if you could, if you could get someone else claimed as a witch and said that the, you had grievances from this person, you could inherit their land when, yep. and that sweetened the pot. And so now it's like, now it's not only getting rid of the undesirables, but it's getting rid of your competition. It's getting rid of anyone who challenges you absorbing their wealth and their land. And, and again, I mean, and this is the wealth accumulation that leads to late stage capitalism. This is yes. exactly what's going on in the early modern period that is accumulating all this wealth. You know, there used to be land called the commons. We still have that in New England a little bit, but where, you know, you could just hang, you know, like you could just live on the commons. Like it didn't belong to anyone. And then a huge part of the witch, the witch hunts in Europe was about sort of, yeah, taking land and accumulating it in a smaller group of wealthy people. And, you know, um, so it all really relates back to capitalism, which is like not something I understood when I first even started studying witchcraft in an academic setting. Um, I wasn't really aware of how all of these different threads of things that I was like very interested in, like feminism and, you know, ca capitalism, anti-capitalism, however you want to say it, um, really all come together when you look at the figure of the witch and all of the persecutions and stuff. So it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty interesting that I ended up in a town that's literally like probably the most <laughs> famous place in the world uh -huh. um, for witch hunts. So, and, and yeah. And, and now you're doing the work of undoing <laughs> that conditioning and undoing uh, those century old witch hunts, which of course we've talked a lot about how it plays into feminism and um, the modern expression, modern expression of femininity. But I think there's also lots of anti-queer 
um, Absolutely. roots within the witch hunts. And if you think about how lots of indigenous uh, peoples did not um, persecute the queer members of their uh, of their communities the way that Western Europeans did. And well, sure, and so, I mean, and sorry. a lot of queer people were no, you're fine, but a lot of queer people were considered mystics in their in their communities, and so witch hunts were not only about rooting out wicked women, but anyone who defied the norm, basically. Correct. <laughs> and that's why when people like kind of want to get into like why I identify as a witch, you know, that's a big part of it, which is just that like, well, anybody that wasn't like cis, hat, Christian, like was considered a witch. And I actually mm -hmm. think it's pretty cool to not be yeah. any of those things, <laughs> you know? And so, and that's why I think it's so powerful as a term to reclaim and an archetype to embody mm -hmm. is because you are saying, I actually do run counter to that narrative. Yeah. That is something mm -hmm. I'm proud of is that I do exist outside of this like very narrow version of the world which I would argue like probably nobody actually fits into. And that's probably like <laughs> why we have such a sick, sad world. But, um, you know, the people that are, you know, sort of the shadow walkers or the, you know, just the people that are out who are able to exist outside of those things and have it be a point of pride, you know, yeah. um, that is, I think what reclaiming being a witch is, is all about. And of course there are the component, the spiritual components and the ritual components mm -hmm. and all of these other things, but I don't actually know how much of a uh, practice you need to have in those areas. I, I don't like to gatekeep who gets to call themselves a witch at all. I think. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, it's so funny because it's like, um, these two things are very, very different, but have held similar similar places in my life for a long time until we were having the conversation about non-binary gender identities the way that we're having them now for the longest time i never came out as non-binary one because that word hadn't been popularized and that was the first word that really resonated with me the first uh, phrase that really resonated with me for my own gender identity but for a long time and i've talked about this before i didn't come out as trans femme um not only not having the words but just feeling like that's not trans enough to mm. to um, claim this to claim this title, and I felt very similarly to witchcraft. I felt like, mm -hmm. well, you know, I know all the ways in which I don't, you know, like <laughs> practice witchcraft the way I think people are practicing witchcraft. So I don't want to label myself a witch and then like have a have a true witch be like, ah, you're not really. Everyone you're not has, practicing witchcraft everyone has the way. this like board of directors that like hates them in their head. That's like going to punish them if they like use the wrong word to describe themselves mm -hmm. when like truly no one. I mean, I shouldn't say no one cares, but it's just kind of like if somebody does care about that enough to like be like, you aren't non-binary enough to call yourself. <laughs> I mean, fuck them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but I find that it's more just this like, like I said, this like council of haters that like everyone I, has in their head. 
when I've spoken to Pam Grossman on this, uh, who's a guest who I love, podcast, who's a good friend of mine, I, I shout figured, out Pam. I figured, um, <laughs> I, I spoke to Pam Grossman about this exact thing and, um, just like kind of feeling like, do I get to call myself a witch? Is there like a, uh, is there like a witch's council of, you know, like sage old gray haired witches who are going to tell oh, me like I'm Crohn's not doing it right? Stamping yeah, like and, applications, like approved. And Pam said back then, and I found it to be true, but she's like, those people exist, but I think you're going to find that who you're going to interact with the most are witches with really good senses of humor who are just happy that like more people are celebrating the lifestyle. And I've always said that witchcraft is not my religion, rather my my philosophy and my worldview. And it really fits in with what we were talking about earlier about how, I mean, ultimately, my main practice of witchcraft is being mindful of how I'm affecting my environment, how my environment's affecting me. And that includes the other uh, living, living creatures in that environment what be they be they sentient human beings or just my cats you know who of course are the bosses around here obviously (laughs) no I feel very I feel very similar to you in that I mean I I I have said for years that for me being a witch is more of a political um Mm -hmm. distinction um than a religious one but I, I am very spiritual and witchcraft is my spirituality um but I don't practice like Wicca as a religion. Um, it doesn't, you know, resonate with me. I, I I'm just not a religious person. I just, mm-hmm. it just, I, I, I just I'm, I'm really struggle <laughs> with organized religion. To me, it's something so personal. Um, I, I, I did have to go to church when I was a child and I just always felt so like, I just, I just think it's like a personal thing. And I always just like felt so odd that, that, um, people wanted to share that with each other, which I mean, I do understand that now, but probably cause it was like Christianity. And I was just like, what are these people talking about? <laughs> um, I, you know, in my own, in my own journey as a witch, in the public eye, I've often like had these crossroads of like, you you know, like, uh, the whole conversation about branding and like, okay, so witchcraft is my philosophy, my worldview, my spirituality. I say therapy and witchcraft is my spirituality. Oh, we are the exact same (laughs) on that for sure. Um, and so, and then I've also incorporated it a lot in my work, especially on All Star Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's like, by oh, the way. thank you. <laughs> sometimes it's just like dropping in. Uh, and remember, I'm mm-hmm. also doing this through the lens of witchcraft. And sometimes it's leaning into it. Um, right. But then I've had these moments of like, um, you know, someone saying, what if we did a Jinx Monsoon tarot deck? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, tarot decks are a, a spiritual instrument and I want to like reserve some reverence for for spiritual tools and instruments. So maybe not a Jinx Monsoon tarot deck. And then, of course, I was gifted a Meryl Streep tarot deck like two <sighs> weeks ago. And I was like, what am I so hung up on? But I want to talk to you about the commodification and maybe the trend of witchcraft and how um, 
being an anti-capitalist uh, shop owner and community events coordinator, as well as activist. Um, wh what are your feelings on the commodification of spirituality and witchcraft and kind of the trend that we see in pop culture, mainly, I would say, due to uh, uh, mainstream media uh, depictions of witchcraft as of late, which is very celebratory, but also then feeds into the commercialization of spirituality. That was a lot of words. Let's see what you do with them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, I just throw them all into a hat and start picking them up. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, again, being a Gemini, I can really, I'm, I'm of two minds about just about everything, mm -hmm. but definitely about this. And, you know, the first one is that, um, I started studying witchcraft at Barnes and Noble in the Wicca section when I was 13, 12, 13, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if that had, if that material hadn't been there in a corporate bookstore, um, mm -hmm. you know, I may not have found it. And I know lots of, I think Pam, says that mm -hmm. that's kind of where she like really started in earnest too, is, is that like a B Dalton or something? And a lot of my friends, same thing. Right. And yeah. so like, who am I to take away like mass market things that may, you know, like, correct. And accessibility yeah. is huge for me just in general with house, witch and with everything else. And it's, and mm -hmm. so it's, it's one of the reasons Wicca didn't totally resonate for me because it was completely inaccessible for me. Um, mm -hmm you know, as a 14 year old in Bolingbrook, Illinois, um, <laughs> I, there was just like not a botanica there. You know what I mean? There was like not yeah. an herb store, you know what I mean? And so I'm yeah. kind of like trying to get into this religion and I'm like, I don't have any of the tools that seem like very crucial to this endeavor. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just can't do it. And that was one of the reasons I kind of fell away, um, from witchcraft for a little while until my twenties. Um, so there's that, right? Um, I don't want to gatekeep this from anyone. I want it to be accessible to people, especially like the people who really need it the most are probably the people with the least amount of access mm -hmm. um, in some ways. Um, but then of course, I also don't love Sephora making money off of selling white sage, which is like, you know, mm -hmm. already being over harvested and there are, you know, cultural appropriation mm -hmm. issues with it. That's just like an example, you know, um, urban outfitter selling crystals. My wife and I joke sometimes we'll go into like home goods or Marshall's and, um, we call it crystal 911 because like they'll, they'll be selling <laughs> crystals, but they look like kind of sad and, you know, like a little, you know, whatever. And so we like rescue them and like cleanse them at home and stuff. Um, you know, so it, it, again, just like with anything else, there's like nuance there. I mean, mm -hmm. um, again, for me, it's really important that the things that I'm selling again, like come from a magical place, um, that magical people make them mm -hmm. and that they aren't you know, as much as possible, sort of like mass produced under mm -hmm. like ethically questionable circumstances yeah. that for me, because, you know, one tenant of witchcraft, depending on how you subscribe to it is do no harm. And so when it comes to these types of things being manufactured or made or sold or whatever it is, um, you know, I just tend to think if you lean on the side of 
I know who is making these. I know that it brings them so much joy in their life to support themselves by being able to make these things. Um, They are a human being that I want to support in this world. Though the energetics of those kinds of products are like much different than something Mm -hmm. that is going to go on the shelf in Sephora, you know? But again, I also like to say like, as someone who like felt pretty, um, what's the word? Like just kind of shut down by the beauty industry as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm fine with somebody walking into Sephora and maybe like not buying, I'm saying this to the wrong (laughs) audience, but not buying like tons of makeup and like buying witchcraft instead. So Uh like I said, you know, it's nuanced. It's, 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 there's not an easy answer to any, anything involving the witch because the witch contains Mm -hmm. multitudes. And so anything has to be kind of you know, looked at like that, but in terms of the house, switch philosophy to how we sell the things that we sell and how we, um, you know, try to give the people the best tools to tap into their practice really is just around like, what is the full circle of like how this product is made and how it gets to us? And is it ethical? you know, or as ethical as possible, because there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but is it sort of like as ethical as possible? I've said on this podcast before, when we've talked about the gender expression revolution, that there are aspects of it that, that may appear to be a trend or may, you know, there are aspects of it that are trendy right now, you know, expressing, expressing your gender. But at the end of the day, what a wonderful trend. Like, I'm so glad this is a trend versus, you know, I remember like big time cultural appropriation in the, in the 90s and early 2000s that was just the norm for white teenagers, you know? Like, what a great time to be alive that the trend right now for young people is expressing their gender identity, you know? So it's amazing. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword with the commodification of spirituality. But like you said, if it's bringing more people and like welcoming more people in, and then, you know, the people who who strongly resonate with the practice of witchcraft will probably find their own path to something more authentic and genuine, uh, even if they start in a commercial setting. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Can you just follow me around and say things more succinctly (laughs) than I ever could? (laughs) I've just had to... I, you know, it's, I get to these conclusions by having these conversations with myself. You know, um, you were saying uh, as a Gemini being able to see two sides to things. For me, I see two sides to things as a very pragmatic Virgo. Like I need to analyze all the different and I also try to plan out how is someone going to counter me on this? How is someone going to like try to refute what I'm saying right now? And then how do I counter them back? And I just am constantly having conversations, debates, press conferences in my head so that by the time I'm talking about it to another human being, I've processed as much as I can so that I can like 
I I also just try not to talk about anything that I haven't like done this with because then that's when I run my mouth on a topic I actually haven't really. <laughs> sure. Time well, hey, to. it makes you a great podcast host. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time and still haven't found a good way to say it. But um, I like to think my Midwestern rambling is endearing, I guess. But um, anyways, let's talk about um, so. If someone were to make a trip to Salem today, what would be the places you would, uh, let's say, let's focus this a little more. If someone interested in witchcraft, anywhere in their, in their journey with witchcraft, but if someone who is interested in witchcraft is making their first pilgrimage to Salem, what would be some of the, the spots you would highly recommend um, for entertainment or for their um, furthering their endeavors in witchcraft, and then a why is house witch a must <laughs> a, 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 a must see stop on this Salem tour. <laughs> well, the thing that first popped into mind is that we have a troll office in our store, a troll doll <laughs> office. So that would probably be if you aren't sold already. Um, <laughs> No. So, I mean, in Salem, I mean, the cool thing about Salem is that downtown is like just about a mile radius. And so you can really uh -huh. walk everywhere and it's like cobblestone streets and like beautiful autumnal trees. I mean, not all year round, but, but people do think this is like a Disney set. Like people are very surprised yeah. that it's a real place and that like, we really live here um, because <laughs> it is very quaint. It is like very quaint and um, New Englandy. Um, so I would honestly suggest like just walking around, but, yeah. um, and don't miss the historical district. It's not specifically related to witchcraft, but it's just like so beautiful. And like downtown Salem gets so bonkers and wild with tourists that if you just like right off of downtown is the historical district and there's just like tons of beautiful streets and homes, but the witch house is mm -hmm. a great attraction. It's the only building that is still here that was around during the witch trials. Um, I believe the sheriff, I should know this, the sheriff or one of the judges lived there. Um, mm -hmm. And they have it decked out like it was in 1692. Um, so I just, there's not a ton of historical sites here, unfortunately. People mm -hmm. really think they're gonna like walk into, um, you know, goody, Samuels. Proctors. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you're not. But you can go to the next town over, which was actually Salem Village, where the witch trials uh -huh. happened. Now it's called Danvers. And there's a very cool site called the Rebecca Nurse House. Um, but in Salem, witch house, and then at the other end of Essex Street is the witch museum, which is like very uh -huh. kind of like campy. Like it's like almost like a showbiz pizza or like a Chuck E. Cheese, but with Puritans animatronic statues oh, wow. like doing the whole witch trials thing um wow. it's a very popular attraction <laughs> um and then yeah like just you know like we definitely have a main drag that has a lot of souvenir shops but they're all like witchcraft related mm -hmm. souvenirs um so that's fun um and get a tarot reading i recommend pyramid books um mm -hmm. And which is a great like new age bookstore here. And mm -hmm. yeah, come to House Witch. Take a tour <laughs> with my wife, nowagetravel.com. My wife is a tour guide and she gives incredible sort of 
metaphysical um, tours, not so much like the ghost tours mm-hmm. um, that are popular here. And then come to House Witch and hang out with us yeah. and get a mystery crystal from our gumball machine and say hi to the troll dolls that work there. <laughs> and um, we'll probably dance to some ABBA with you. We'll probably dance <laughs> to some Whitney Houston. And yeah, pick out some candles, smell some candles. Our, our catchphrases come for the smells, stay for the spells. Um <laughs> I have your website pulled up here, which if you if, if listeners are unable to make the pilgrimage anytime soon, they can visit housewitchstore.com. That's house spelt H-A-U-S, witchstore.com. And I'm looking- Bless we you, got, you're an angel. <laughs> we've got queer tarot and inclusive deck and guidebook right here on the homepage. And you also sell spell kits, which let's talk for a moment about spell kits because I'm very much a kitchen witch. I very much follow my instincts. I feel like my um, magic is expressed most through how I take care of the people in my life, uh, be that through cooking. Oh, I love that. I occasionally am, I'm often making most of what I do with witchcraft is protect protection charms, things to kind of further work I'm doing in therapy. So, um, like if, if I'm having an issue with not being kind to myself, then I might find a spell that is going to remove something that's blocking me from being kind to myself or something to amplify, um, the positive energy that I'm receiving in life. So, um, Spell kits, though, I I love I love spell kits because well I take a I'm someone just like with my cooking um, with my like if I'm creating oils or creating a charm or something I'll follow the instructions the first time and then after that kind of like follow my instincts. What I love a spell kit for is to show me how to do it right the first time and then later I can take my own knowledge and, and add or customize spells to what I'm needing it for. Um, so people can order spell kits online and I assume that they are goof proof. Like, uh, <laughs> I think so. I've been making them for, um, eight years now. And, um, it looks like in my notes that the business started with spell kits. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, so I was sort of helping people with their homes, um, Mm -hmm. you know, physically in helping them kind of make over their spaces for not a lot of money. Um, but you know, my brand was house witch and it kind of came to me like, oh, I should be helping them with the like energetics of this too. Mm -hmm. Um, I could make these little spell kits. And I will tell you that like, they really have not changed. I really have not changed um, much about any of them over the eight Mm -hmm. years, which tells me that like, they really were, you know, good. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you were describing. It's also just that like in general in Salem, I have this amazing opportunity to take people who are like witch curious and Mm -hmm. make them into witches. You know, I mean, they're here for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And they definitely gravitate, I think, to my store because we have a very kind of like light 
aesthetic uh, and welcoming and inclusive. And so the smell kits come in these house boxes that are like completely adorable. Like people cannot, (laughs) they're like magnets. They're just like, oh my God, this box is adorable. Um, And so then they're like a normal person, normal, quote unquote, um, who just picked up a witchcraft spell kit, you know? And then they're looking at it and they're like, oh, this is going to help me feel like my home is protected or, you know, probably my favorite one is our dream house kit, which is about manifesting your dream house. And we get so many reviews and feedback and testimonials of people Mm -hmm. that, you know, it works. And so that to me, it's like a gateway drug, you know, it's like the spell kits are a gateway (laughs) drug, a hundred percent. And, you know, I just, like I said, I, I really took a lot of time and, and put a lot of energy into thinking about, you know, not just putting ingredients in a thing Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, do this, do this, do this, but like really thinking about shifting people's consciousness around their homes or just opening up, planting little seeds, you know, Mm -hmm. about, um, like, I don't think people get that, like lighting a candle that smells like pumpkin spice is a spell. That's a spell, you know, and you're already doing it probably. Yeah. I, so I talk about mantras as spells, you know, um, I'm, I'm famously known for using mantras in my day-to-day life and work. And when people bring up water off a duck's back to me, um, I say, Mm -hmm. you know, what I was doing was casting a little confidence spell on me, on myself through that whole process. And, um, I also, as a, like I said, as a pragmatic Virgo witch, I, I like to think about it um, scientifically as well as spiritually. Um, and this is one thing that our shifting away from religion, I think, is one positive thing that we lost by shifting away from religion. And that's um, meditative, meditative, meditative rituals. And that's something that I love that witchcraft has brought back into my life is even if it's small things, lighting incense, putting down your phone to mindfully light your incense, to change the space that you're in, to change the way that you feel in that space. Now we can look at it spiritually and talk about the choice of the incense and the smell and what that, what this burning, this um, ingredient is supposed to do spiritually. But you can also look at the fact that like the human brain is extremely powerful, changing your environment changes the way your brain is operating, changes the way that you feel, changes the way that you then tackle your next objective. And it all starts with that meditative, meditative, oh my God, that mindful <laughs> ritual. Yes, there you go. That, yeah. that mindful yeah. ritual that you performed. Well, and, it's about setting an intention, right? I mean, yeah. and and infusing something with intention and um and visual visualization, right? Is like such a key piece, I think, to a lot of the witchcraft that I practice too. And so I think it's just like, you know, and the spell kits are a big part of this just demystification of like what it means to be a witch and what practicing witchcraft is and what a spell is and what spells can be for. Um, And I just, it's like the privilege of my life that this is my job, you know, to figure out how to kind of like um, 
translate witchcraft to the masses. It's to the masses. Yeah. A dream. <laughs> um, I am going to be having some home renovations done this winter so i am already planning on getting a dream house spell kit um we have reached about an hour in our conversation and then uh, honestly the time has just flown by (laughs) but i must i must um direct us now to my compulsory questions that i ask every guest that i have and i'm going to add one for you today specifically because this is a question i believe i asked Asked Pam, and I'd love to hear your take on it as well. Um, what are some of your favorite pop culture representations of witches? Do you have some favorite witch icons that you keep in your mind? <laughs> I definitely do. Um, I mean, the first one that always comes to mind is The Craft. I mean, mm-hmm. I I saw that movie. I was fourteen. I saw it in the theater the night it came out. I just felt represented. I felt seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I was Mm -hmm. like, I too would like to wear a leather jacket and (laughs) practice witchcraft with my best friends. Um, Finally, you know, when you're like 14 and you like, you don't know what your identity is at all, you know? Um, But my very first like witch, like icon idol was um, Mildred Hubble from The Worst mm. Witch, which is a Feruza Balk and Tim Curry classic from the mid Which has been rebooted and remade multiple times. And now there's, a, 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 I believe, a BBC or a British produced Netflix series. I saw which- that. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but... It's fully for kids, and I still yeah. watch like two okay. seasons I mean, just because know. it was about witches. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. I mean, I named my car Tabby because, like, that's the name of her cat in that movie. I mean, I just, uh-huh. I loved The Worst Witch. I could definitely sing you that entire Tim Curry number um, <laughs> right now, but I won't. Um, and then I think the the witch, the movie that came out in like 2016. Um, mm-hmm which is like the Vivich, if you're, you know, mm-hmm. it's spelled with two V's or whatever. Um, <laughs> I think that does such an amazing, that movie does such an amazing job of painting the whole picture of like mm-hmm. what living in that time um, and just like, the the stories that we all kind of learn and like this tapestry that's woven together of like of like fiction and myth and you know there's still being unexplainable things and puritanism and it just is like if if definitely make that in October if uh to the audience if you haven't seen <laughs> the witch which yeah. is again like V-V-I-T-C-H. Do it this October because it's just, I mean, first of all, I think just like pre-colonial United States is scary. Uh Just in and of itself, right? Um, (laughs) And then you add in that there's this like kind of mystical horror element to it. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's like so good. And you know, again, because the witch contains multitudes and it's like, you know, we've got the pop, we've got the pop culture of kind of the craft and and Mildred and like whatever. But this is sort of that historical piece that I don't think yeah. a lot of. I mean, like Hocus Pocus, we're about to have a Hocus Pocus explosion here in yeah. Salem, you know, <laughs> and that is 
is what a lot of people associate with the kind of historical yeah. aspect of like witches and witchcraft and um you know okay but <laughs> if you want the real deal watch the witch because it's like very very cool but you know i mean my favorite witches aren't necessarily witches because they're like cb mm-hmm. nicks and kelly catrone and yeah, like yeah, julia yeah. sugarbaker you know well, so i <laughs> <laughs> well thanks to american horror story coven which um not only featured stevie nicks as a very powerful witch but for me it was it, when i watched coven i was also the newly crowned um, uh, winner of season five of Drag Race. And I could not resonate with that story arc more of the Supreme and then being replaced by the new Supreme and the power (laughs) shifting from one to the other. And that's why when I crowned Bianca Del Rio, I went full-time 24-7 ginger because I was like, I want people to look back on me as the Myrtle Snow, someone who always served a purpose, someone who Mm. has resurrected from the flame. She never truly goes away rather than being seen as the previous Supreme who's now just, you know, dead. Sure, Um, sure. sure. I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest, um, starting with, who is your celebrity crush today? Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Wow. That's tough. Don't feel caged in by the by the question. You can define crush for yourself. (laughs) Okay. The only thing I really that's coming to mind is that... Matt Smith, who is someone who I have never cared about in my life, (laughs) is now on House of the Dragon on HBO, Uh which I am a fan of. And Uh there was one episode where he just smirks into the camera (laughs) in a way that gave me like full body chills. And I was like... Okay, Matt Smith. I mean, I'm gay, you know, but like, Uh I just literally was like, that is like, I think it was almost more of a vibe that like, I want to step into myself than like something (laughs) I find attractive. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, an aspirational crush. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that would be my answer. There's like one frame of episode three of House of the Dragon where I... I'm attracted to Matt Smith, I guess, but (laughs) kind of also just want to be him. Um, I think that's it. I'm not like a big, I know there's like someone very obvious that I'm forgetting about, but that'll be my answer for now, I guess. (laughs) One, one second of Matt Smith in um, House of the Dragon. Um, (laughs) This next question is more um, poignant for people who hadn't spent the whole conversation, <laughs> the whole conversation discussing this. But if you have anything to add to it, feel free. The question is: Are you spiritual? <laughs> you could say that. Yes. Yeah. And my final question for you is: What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, "Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Wonderful. Um. You know, 
I I love I'm one of those people who like I love good covers of songs if they're done well and they're done with reverence to the original. Um, and sometimes there's a good cover that's done with zero rever- reverence to the original. But I have to say I am really into Lana Del Rey's cover of Season of the Witch, which I think was done for that. Um, really baffling. Um, are you afraid of? Or no, it was uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. That that oh book gosh. franchise that got turned into a movie. Um, was that on Netflix too? <laughs> I don't I don't know, but um, I gotta say, for like a t- contemporary artist, and I feel like Lana has some. I don't know if it's intentional, but she's got some witchiness about her. But <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, seems like it. Now, my secret karaoke song that I only sing in my car is "Silver Springs" by Fleetwood Mac. My, my one of my best <laughs> friends said that I like in my twenties. I like just left. If, if Silver Springs started playing, I just left the room crying. And I was like, that's, that's like a that Seinfeld feel. episode. Desperado. Oh my God, yes. What was it? Oh, it was like Midnight Cowboy or what? Was- it was Desperado. <laughs> Desperado, totally. But but then they have the callback with Witchy Woman at the end of the yes, episode. Yes, yes. Witchy Woman, full circle. Can't full think of circle. a better way to wrap up. <laughs> full circle. Great. Um, where can we've already talked about housewitchshop.com um store. where can I think shop oh, will get you there too but sorry housewitch store i also just googled housewitch spelled h a u s we have magic wands in our hands that can do anything if you got the basic gist you'll find it but housewitchstore.com is where you can um shop online and um do you have any social media presence you'd like to plug here yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, we are just at Housewitch. I need to double check what our TikTok is, but I believe it is Housewitch. Now, just to be really confusing, Housewitch Shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that one is Housewitch Store, too. Okay, perfect. That okay. one is Housewitch Store, too, on TikTok. Um, and I have a personal, a more personal Instagram account called House Witch at Home. And that's a little bit more sort of focused on my personal life a little bit, um, if you're interested. And yeah, you can find my book, um, House Magic, Transform Your Home with Witchcraft on certainly on my website, but on other websites as well. Um, you know, the big ones, they don't need my help <laughs> dropping their names. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Erica, for a lovely conversation. Um, thank you for uh, contributing to the destigmatization of witches and witchcraft, uh, for the work you do as a feminist and as as a queer witch in the world. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for providing a place where people can get um, authentic, locally sourced, mindfully created and curated supplies for their own witch endeavors. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me right back at you. Thank you for all that you do, and uh, yeah, for having me today. It's been a real pleasure. And have a blessed, um, uh, belated uh, Mabon to you. Mabon? Mabon? There's always so many ways to pronounce these You say Mabon, I say Mabon. Let's Let's call call the whole thing up. up. (laughs) Well, thank you once more, Erica Feldman. 
And thank Thanks, you Jinx. all so much for listening to Hijinks here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hijinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. I believe I'm queen. <laughs> I haven't updated this yet, but I believe I'm Queen Jinx Monsoon on uh, Twitch and Jinx Monsoon official on TikTok. Uh, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.